It's time for Tycoons of Small Biz, spotlighting the true backbone of the American economy, the true tycoons of business in America, the owners, founders, and CEOs of small businesses. The show's hosts, Austin Peterson and Landon Mance, are registered representatives of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation, a broker-dealer, member SIPC, and registered investment advisor. The views expressed by your hosts, Austin and Landon, are not necessarily the views of Lincoln Financial Advisors. Let's lean in as Austin and Landon connect with this week's Tycoons. Good afternoon, Tycoons, and welcome to today's episode of Tycoons of Small Biz. I'm here as always, Austin Peterson, with my co-host Landon Mance, who happens to be in studio this week, all the way from Las Vegas. And we're happy to have in studio as well, Bobby Machado with Signa Marketing here in downtown Phoenix. They're a uh, digital marketing company, and we'll let him tell us a little bit about uh, what it is that they do. So, Bobby, thanks for being here with us today. Oh, of course. No, thank you for having me. Uh, I'm excited to be on the on, on this episode, and uh, uh, kind of just to give you guys just a, a, a brief background on Signa and and whatnot. Uh, we're a local digital marketing agency here in downtown Phoenix. Uh, we've been around for uh, almost six years now. It started mainly just as a web shop, and then uh, my uh, expertise in, in the marketing aspect kind of took off more ever since we've been just focusing on helping small businesses and brands expand their, their online presence and, and so forth. Yeah, we're looking forward to talking to you a little bit about that and what you guys do specifically here locally in Phoenix and potentially nationwide. But before we jump into the business side of things, we usually like to have our our guests tell a little bit about themselves personally. So, you know, I don't know if you're married, if you have any kids, your family, just give us a little bit of background on on your family life and and how that uh, has kind of led you to where you are today. Awesome. Yeah, of course. Uh, So I was actually born in um, Denver, Colorado. And weird thing is I had not been back since I was three years old. And we just went back um, uh, two weeks ago as a family. Um, so that was really cool just to reconnect. Uh, and we even went to the home where I spent the first years <laughs> of my life there and all that good stuff. So it was really neat. Um, but for the majority of my life, I've lived out here in Phoenix, uh, uh, mainly in Buckeye, um, which is why I was always around like dirt bikes and horses and all that stuff because um, you can't get in trouble in the city. So you're going to find <laughs> things to do outside <laughs> and stuff. My immediate family is all here. I have some family in Tucson, and then of course, like my cousins, stuff like that, in in Colorado. So, so yeah. It, but for the majority of my life, yeah, definitely Arizona. I feel like a native uh, at this point for sure. Cool. Yeah, definitely a good time of year to visit Colorado as well. Get up into the high country a little bit. Cooler weather. Oh, it was beautiful. I, if anything, I I think uh, well, I have a brother, a younger brother. I'm the oldest of three, so I have a younger brother and then a younger sister, and I think both. Uh, Cesar and I, because Cesar was born in Littleton out there, um, we looked at each other and were like, why did we leave? Like, Colorado's so awesome. <laughs> but the thing is that um, there's a lot of beauty to Arizona, too. There's a lot you can do. And I was like, you know what? That airplane ride's only an hour and a half. That's not too bad. You can get some work done on the way there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, as a guy who spent most of his life outside of Salt Lake City, Utah, I would say go there in February, shovel a couple of really big driveways, and then tell me you still want to live there. That, that's a good point. That That's actually the main reason why my mom, when I was, once I was four years old, she told my dad, she's like, we're leaving because those blizzards just got too bad. And she's, she's like, yeah, I need a we need to chill out on this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My, my family, you know, makes mention specifically about, you know, they call it the surface of the sun where we live and, you know, all that, you know, all those sorts of things. And, and my response is always, you don't shovel sunshine. That's, so that's a good, that's a good response. That's true. Very true. Yeah. I, I mean, I actually, I love, I love Utah and Colorado. I lived in Colorado for a little bit when I was in junior high school. My dad worked at Stapleton airport there they're great places to to live. They're actually great places to visit as well. The outdoors. I mean, it, it's tough to find better states in our country that have more to offer from an outdoor standpoint. Yeah. But yeah, I, it, if I were to ever live in Colorado or Utah again, I would I would have to have a heated driveway. Right. <laughs> and, and they and they do yeah. actually make those. Right. Yeah. You can put oh, wow. like a hot water heater system in the driveway so that it just melts the snow as soon as it lands on there. So. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. I did not Bobby, know. Bobby, I, I got to ask, so before I move on from this uh, topic, yeah, because you hear mixed, uh, uh, mixed uh, things from people when they go back to their childhood home, you know, and you, yeah. so I don't know if you went up and knocked on the door and said, Hey, I used to live here. Can I, you know, tour the house? <laughs> but yeah. uh, is that what you did? We were about to, to be honest. Oh, you, okay. So, so you just, yeah, because okay. my parents, um, we actually got to 
go to the apartment where they started their life essentially together before I existed. <laughs> um, and we were, we went up to the apartment, there's a lady coming out and they got to talking and then she's like, Oh my gosh, you guys lived here. And she's like, you guys want to come in and check it out. <laughs> so our whole family's in there just checking out this apartment. Uh, and we're like, okay, maybe we should do that with the house too. But I was like, let's not push it. <laughs> yeah. 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 You, sh- you should have. My, my older sister, we, we lived in the same house for a number of years growing up. Mm-hmm. And uh, a couple years ago, my sister went up and uh, just knocked on the door. And uh, at the time, so it's a married couple, man and a woman. And at the time, only the husband was home. Mm-hmm. So he was giving her a tour of the house and his wife came home and apparently was not nearly as friendly as husband. <laughs> and so, you know, he, you know, my sister said that when, you know, she, she came in and she introduced herself right away. Oh yeah. You know, we grew up in this house and she, she, she was not too excited uh, to uh, have her in there checking it out. So I was just curious what your experience was, but she was yeah. like, I need some context here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, oh man. yeah, some, some people think it's pretty weird. Right. But, uh, yeah, my, my wife will never have that experience. We have taken our kids. So my kids mm-hmm. are 20 and 17. We've taken our kids to see the first apartment that we lived in as a married couple. And, you know, a few things like that, which I think we thought was way cooler than our kids thought. They're like, Oh, okay. Okay, that's that's cool, yeah. right? <laughs> but they're twenty and seventeen, so nothing's really that cool anyway, right? But um, yeah, my my wife will never have that experience. Her her parents have lived in the same house since nineteen sixty nine, wow. and they're wow. in you know they're ninety one and eighty six. Man, um, they'll they'll likely pass on in in that home, and so you know, and my wife was born in nineteen seventy four, so it's the only house she's ever known. Oh wow, yeah, that's, that's special right there. That's yeah. that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty cool. Uh, pretty cool deal. So you mentioned your brother Cesar. Yeah. And I know you guys do a little bit uh, in business together as well. So tell us a little bit more about your relationship with him and what you guys do from a business standpoint together. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, so Cesar, he's definitely an a analytical mind. Uh, for sure. He works at uh, Honeywell as a, a test engineer. Him kind of being, you know, doing that as, as the full gig and stuff like that um, has always been kind of his thing. I, I I don't think he looked necessarily at entrepreneurship until one of our clients um, at the time we had built them a, a e-commerce website and so forth. And um, the gentleman, he was uh, closer to, well, I think he's 66 now or so. So he was, he was at that point where he was like, you know what, I'm managing this business on my own um, and uh, I'm, I'm ready to, to, to pass it on. Um, so we were presented a great opportunity, great deal. Um, I, between Cigna and Sector 7, I was like, I'm not, I can't do this on my own. Like I need help. <laughs> so I told my brother, I was like, you know, uh, would you want to go in on this deal? Um, and, and essentially kind of re- resurrect this, this company. Um, Quick Job uh, uh, was, has been around for 37 years. It was built from door to door sales. Wow. So, so Mike McLean, um, the previous owner, he had scaled it with the whole team of 25 sales reps, you know, door to door sales, um, nowadays, of course, you're not going to do the door-to-door sales a- as much. And so when 2008 happened um, with the whole crash, uh, he had to kind of, he had to let go of the whole team. And uh, at that point, the site was hardly doing any of the overall sales. So his sales plummeted. And for the last uh, nine, 10 years, um, it's been consistent with the, the the loyal customer base, but there's been no active pushing of marketing or getting the, the message uh, message out there or, or anything like that. So, um, so the fact that it's been so steady, super loyal customer base, we said, you know what, this is a great deal, and um, uh, being able to use the resources from Cigna and stuff like that, um, we've been able to to amp it up from from that side. But um, but yeah, so Cesar is great because he handles a lot of the operations, a lot all the shipping, all that stuff like that, while I handle a lot of the the messaging and the marketing side of things. Oh, cool. So how long ago did you pull the trigger on that transaction? Uh, that was January 2019. Oh. Yeah. So that was that was fun because uh, it, it was headquartered in Las Vegas. And so, you know, we had a, a, a nice rental from U-Haul and got like all the inventory that was there. Like, so, I mean, everything was boxes and stuff like that and, and brought it over. And, um, and ever since, yeah, we've been uh, managing that together. And, uh, I, I think, uh, with quick job uh, more so in the last three months is more looking at the retail opportunities. That's one thing that quick job was always direct to consumer. And so now we're looking at, you know, how do we get to the mass quicker? 
um, especially through, uh, throughout these times. And, and to be honest, I mean, cleaning products, they're not sexy. That's a challenge. And so, yeah, from a retail aspect, that's where we've been putting a little bit more work into for sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's funny. We, we've talked about this a little bit on on past shows where, you know, a lot of these companies that people don't think of as sexy, right? So yeah. it's not building websites. It's not, it's not doing uh, digital marketing. It's not any of these, you know, tech boom type of, of jobs or, mm-hmm. or businesses that are out there. But there are some really strong, steady businesses that are just mundane, everyday, you know, Joe Lunch Bucket type of, of companies that guys make guys and gals make tons and tons of money doing. Yeah, no, that that's true. And and looking at even, yeah, how, how you mentioned, I mean, there's some, of, some of these industries are just enormous. Um, I, I, until Quick Job came around, I never dove into, you know, why, you know, Dove and companies that are, uh, you know, doing consumer products for, um, in that sense, are just, you know, billion dollar companies. I never understood revenue wise, why, um, and once I looked into it, I was like, okay, well, yeah, that makes sense because, uh, with quick job, even, if, you know, there's 330 million Americans av- you know, averaging. And if we had even 1% of the market, that's an enormous business. Yeah. I d- once I looked at that point, I was like, oh, okay, that this makes much more sense. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, cool. Maybe, maybe there's room there for us to squeeze in <laughs> this market. Yeah. Well, um, we, we even had a guest maybe six to eight weeks ago or so that, one of his exits was a cleaning products company. Oh wow! And he's now got a different, you know, company that he's that he's building and doing quite well with. But yeah, his he had an exit with cleaning products. Corey Yates with Alpha and Omega Repair. He he sold a cleaning products uh, business. I don't know, maybe five years ago or so. Oh so, wow! Yeah. No, that that's awesome. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of opportunity in in, um, in that 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 in industry. I mean, I think even more so right now. Um, cleaning products are probably you know pretty hot right now. But yeah, it's one of those things that's a necessity too. It's not something that's gonna necessarily go away unless you kind of pull the 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 you know the throttle off on marketing and stuff like that. But but yeah, so we're really excited to to keep pushing forward and um, and see where the the retail side of things takes us for sure. That's that's a new arena for me. So I I had to do my homework and uh, really understand. Okay, well, what are buyers looking for? You know, what 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 are they considering? Um, how much uh, sales do you have to probably be at already for them to even look at you, stuff like that. And so, so that's been fun, but I love kind of going into new territory and then kind of, it's like a personal challenge really to kind of see like, okay, can, am I, can I do this? Like, uh, and, and kind of take it from there. It's, I think it's like the competitive side of me of just like competing with personally myself to see like, can I do it or can I not type of deal? Yeah. Well, I think that that internal drive is something that all entrepreneurs have to have. Yeah. Right. I mean, you're not always going to have somebody that you can compete with directly other than yourself. And so having that internal drive and that, that internal, you know, whatever it is that pushes you to get out of, out of bed in the morning is, is really what makes the difference between a successful entrepreneur and, and one that doesn't quite make it. Oh, that's, that's such a great point. I was, um, uh, so about a month and a half ago, uh, cause I, I took a rest from hiking <laughs> for the last month, but I was hiking Squaw Peak with a friend and we were talking um, about work and all that good stuff like that. Because, I, I mean, I guess a lot of my friends uh, will say like, oh, do you get too stressed out? They think the stress is, uh, they see it differently because it, it's it's just different perspectives. But I was trying to explain how I'm excited for Monday mornings because it's my my chance to to make more progress and, and all that good stuff with the team. It's funny because, yeah, you, when you say that to to some people, they'll they'll be like, are you weird? Are you crazy? Like, or that doesn't make sense to me. But that is one one big difference I, I definitely see is like you know if you love what you do, you're excited to to start the week and Sunday you're kind of already mentally ramping up in in that sense you know yeah yeah understood so we talk about that not being a real sexy business and since Landon's <laughs> here in in studio let's try to sexy things up a little bit and uh, and talk about digital marketing a little bit and yeah. what specifically got you interested in in digital marketing back in the day I guess I'll, I'll give you guys a, a little bit long form for context, but because I, I, it's never, it's not like I ever, you know, was young and said, Oh, I, I love marketing so much. This is what I'm going to do. This is my, you know, it wasn't from that angle as a child. I was always of service. I really liked, uh, when I was fifth, sixth grade, I started doing landscaping routes and I wanted money to be able to do buy my, whatever toy I wanted a bike or whatever like that. Even if it was fifth, fifth, sixth grade, I probably was still buying some stuff in terms of toys, but, but doing that, 
I always built my my routes in the neighborhoods that drive kind of always just was always there. So even went throughout high school, um, I started was still doing like odd jobs and stuff like that um, around neighborhoods or or anything like that. And so what happened was I started to um, get into like apparel companies and apparel designs and, and stuff like that. So I would do some exploratory clothing lines and and so forth. But to do those items, you have to have a website. You have to uh, understand social media. You have to do uh, all these side, uh, things on the digital marketing side of things, um, which really exposed me to building websites. And just like that, that drive that was always in me, I said, okay, well, now that I know how to build websites, I should just go build websites <laughs> and sell these. <laughs> so, um, so that was junior high uh, or junior year and senior year were the main years in high school that I was actually uh, uh, building sites. Um, weirdly enough, I kick myself in the butt now, but like sophomore year, I remember using Dreamweaver in class and wondering what the heck are we doing? Like, I don't even know what this thing does type of deal. Uh, and so it was just really weird that the next year I was learning HTML and, and stuff like that. So I think it was just completely like the interest level. Um, in sophomore year, I was just completely, you know, uh, numb to it almost. From there, I was selling websites. It was a love-hate relationship because um, uh, I was always by myself and then always in Buckeye. I was never going out networking. I wasn't meeting other uh, developers or anything like that. And so it was a love-hate relationship um, for about four or five years. And then I got into selling Google ads for a bit. And I was already uh, familiar with Google advertising, but I, did not, I didn't know the mechanics of it or anything like that. So once I got into... Um, Selling that for, I mean, that sales job lasted like three months because I was, it, it wasn't my thing, but, but it was great because it exposed me to Google ads and it also allowed me to be able to explain it really well. So from there, I got a job, um, my, my first real, real job at an agency as a paid media specialist. And that was the, the, the one where uh, it was a team of three of, uh, three of us. And we essentially managed the uh, paid media for uh, almost 135 um, car dealerships across the U.S., so Midway Nissan, Peoria Nissan, a lot of those um, types of uh, uh, dealerships is what they were servicing. And so uh, we're man- managing a little over a million uh, a month in ad spend uh, between three of us. And so for me, what, what allowed me to learn was seeing uh, data uh, at a high volume. Because when you see data at a high volume, you can learn much, much faster. Um, it's really tough if you have like you know, a small business campaign and you're seeing the data come through, but it's just, sometimes it takes a little bit longer to make certain decisions. Um, but at that volume, you can see data um, very quickly. The other cool thing is that you're seeing it all within one industry. So a lot of those behaviors, you start to see like that certain geographic locations behave differently or, or certain different makes and models behave differently in terms of interest levels and, and so forth. So, so I was there for almost two years. And I, again, it's just the bug that that's in you that you're like, you know, I mean, I, I, I'm always going to probably b- build something for myself type of deal. And so, um, so even though I was super grateful for the opportunity and, and, and you know, working there and the experience too, um, that's when I pulled the trigger to move out from there and, um, and uh, start Cigna. And really my goal with that was to be able to take uh, all the experience I've seen from a, from a high level, uh, seeing a lot of data come through and, and the tactics that um, that work for for uh, you know big companies in, in, in that sense, and bringing it down more to the small business level, um, just because especially like Google Ads, Bing Ads, um, even Facebook and LinkedIn, it's just super complicated for someone to get in there if they've never touched the platform. If it's the first time, it's just overwhelming. There's a lot of moving pieces, um, and even though these platforms do a good job of trying to explain you know, how to set these campaigns up and stuff like that. There's a lot of um, tactics and just nuances to the to the craft itself um, that really only built uh, over time with experience. And so um, so that's the inspiration that, you know, that really drove Cigna and why, since I already had this web development background, we were building websites, but it, it almost, um, I mean, it almost serves as like the first project that we ever do sometimes with the, with the client because we know that the, we're, we have to make that website work for them to produce sales or leads. Um, and so then that's where the PPC uh, side of things comes into play and, and all that good stuff. But, um, but yeah, so, I mean, I, uh, if I had to kind of um, categorize with, with Cigna, our, our three, three main um, services, there's paid media, SEO, and website development. So those are, those are the, the, the three 
pretty much the, the core to, to, to Cigna there. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, I feel like they're with a lot of small business owners. I feel like there's still kind of a mystique, you know, around digital marketing. You know what I mean? And I, I think that it's because you've already you've already said it well. I mean, we there's a lot of moving parts. It's confusing, especially if you're not a techie, which um, I I am certainly not. Um, so I, I think that you know you just get confused right and mm-hmm. and so and sometimes when we get confused we tend to shy away from from a subject you know a, a subject or a topic or uh, a business that we don't really understand so when you're when you're helping a business you know manage their quote unquote online presence um, help us understand like walk us through what what's important what do you need to focus on? you know, give us some tips and tricks for, you know, managing somebody's online presence. Absolutely. Um, at, at first, I always like to start at a home base. So foundation is everything because if you don't have, uh, in foundation, I'm, I'm referring to your actual website, which is your storefront online, because you can market a message all, all day out there. But if it's not uh, strategized and you don't have that foundation in place, uh, if anything, you can you can essentially lose a lot of money in marketing. Um, because it's not going to resonate or produce a ROI at, at, at that point. So um, looking at the, the actual website itself and the website experience and the messaging, and messaging meaning like all the content that's on the site, um, is, it the, is the site easy to navigate? Is it clear to understand what um, the, the company is about and what they're offering right when they land on the homepage without having to scroll down the fold? Uh, that's why we have uh, really just core elements that, uh, almost any website should really have on a homepage or on a service page, uh, like an inner page or, or anything like that. There's a lot of foundational elements that need to be put in place now more so than ever. Uh, search engine optimization really needs to be baked into the actual strategy of the user, the user experience of the site. So even the design of the site uh, uh, requires some SEO uh, fluency to kind of integrate in there because um, the uh, the content needs to be optimized for search engines. Uh, search engines are grading your website's user experience. Are people sticking on the site? Um, are they taking action? All that good stuff. And so uh, now more than ever, it's it's you you actually do see a lot more integration between content marketing teams, SEO teams, um, and and designers working together. Which before wasn't ever really like that. It's before it's you know get your website built. Okay, that's live. Okay, cool. A- SEO agency comes through, rips up some stuff, uh, change some pages. Like, and even at that point, you're like, "Well, this page, this site actually changed about 25 percent. Why didn't we just do this all at once?" Type of deal. And so, um, so, so the great thing is that you're actually seeing a lot of agencies uh, partnering up too to be able to uh, better serve their clients. You're seeing a lot of uh, web shops partnering partnering up with. Um, strategic partnerships with with other digital agencies so that the client can essentially win and, and have a, a site that's uh, built to work. So once you have that actual foundation, then you can confidently say, hey, you know what, now we can put some money behind it, which is the gasoline mm-hmm. to produce some leads or some sales. And and at that point, it, it's uh, much more secure of an investment. You know, a way to, to kind of do it a, 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 in a sketchy way is to build a site that's, you know, 50% there, you know, it, it looks nice, but, the, you know, there's definitely some flaws in terms of the messaging or the clarity of it. Um, and then you say, you know what, let's just throw some money at it. That's the that's definitely the the way where small business owners tend to then get discouraged because they know they, they just invested some money. They didn't get anything out of it. And then a lot of times it gets blamed on the platform itself or, you know, the algorithm or anything like that. But um, the, the one thing that I've always loved about digital marketing is that the playing field's always getting leveled consistently. Uh, there's always new, um, uh, not just platforms, but new features to each uh, all these platforms. You know, Google Ads will release a new ad extension mm-hmm. um, that, in our case, we like to test it right away uh, because we know that uh, a lot of uh, others may wait five, six months to test it. We, we like to rapid test these new features up front. Um, but it's great because it... it even with us not knowing, we know that other people didn't know about it because it's a new feature. So it, it, it levels the playing field in that sense um, a lot. Um, and then, I mean, with devices changing so much, um, even even more so now too, where you have um, really just uh, web apps and websites 
almost like merging in terms of behavior and, and interface and stuff like that. That's another thing that's it's leveling the playing field. Everyone has to kind of relearn these things and continue to self-educate. It doesn't matter where what level you're at. You kind of always have to be self-educating in, in this uh, industry for sure. Yeah. So you, you set the stage perfectly for my next question. So you and I, we had a conversation off air, um, you know, several weeks ago when we were talking about having you come on the show. And I had shared my experience with you, which mm-hmm. was uh, basically... Uh, uh, what you what you kind of referred to as the sketchy way, right? That that, that was me. That was me. Yeah. So help us understand. Uh, help our listeners understand our, our our you know our tycoons. There's a lot of digital advertising marketing agencies out there, right? So you know how do you sift through them and find the right fit for you and your business and what you're trying to accomplish. Yeah, that, that's a great question. And um, uh, and and if anything, with, with with sketchiness, when I use that word, uh, I have like I totally get it too. Because you're a business owner, you're like ready to get things going. You want to see the leads coming through. Like I, you got that ants and that energy. I so I like totally get it. Like I don't I don't uh, if anything I don't blame any business owners uh, for that uh, for that energy. You know. But uh, it is, I mean, digital marketing is getting saturated for sure. There's a ton of agencies. The, the um, point, like the entry to the to the industry, I'll be careful with words, but like it, it could be really easy to get into because as long as you learn this knowledge on Google and then you, and then if you're good at sales, you could essentially get into it and just start selling and not have any experience. So that's a, that's a tough part because a lot of people have been burned by that. And so... So when you're looking for a digital marketing agency, make sure that they do present case studies that you essentially interview them a little bit more at depth for sure. More digital agencies are trying to make that easier because that puts a lot of strain on the the business owner to have to essentially interview a ton of agencies. That's time and time is money type of deal. So um, the more that agencies up front can show, you know, their case studies, um, uh, whether it's even like a white paper form or anything like that, but um, either way, the actual homework has to definitely be done to finding the right agency that actually meets your exact needs. Um, more specifically, even try to find agencies that specialize in a niche or in a particular service. That's drilling down even more because, and this is funny because I was talking to a client about this too, is the fact that um, because the evolution of the digital marketing is happening so fast, there's new platforms and these fat platforms are actually getting more sophisticated there's more that a person has to learn to to really uh, be uh, proficient at it. So, I mean, I wouldn't really be surprised that you'd have start you'd start having agencies that, I mean, they or actually they already exist too. That they only do Facebook advertising. That's it. They don't touch anything else. They won't do websites. They won't, they just do only Facebook advertising. Um, and the reason why is because there's so much to learn just from Facebook alone to then have the expertise to then accurately and uh, professionally service the clients. So so that's why um, I, I think for small business owners, if they're looking for something specific, um, and let's say, for, for example, lead generation, focus on finding uh, an agency that is focused only on lead generation, or if they're big enough and they have a, you know, a division that only does lead generation, then, that, then that's great. That, that's probably one of my highest recommendation, you know, recommendations there, because if you get, go with generalist agencies, um, that may not have the specialization, it can work really well if you're a business that's looking for that. If you're looking for an agency that could do it all for you um, and they have the teams and, in place and they can, they can do it, then that's great. But, um, but sometimes there could be generalist agencies that don't, they have not specialized yet or have any special, specialization in, internally. Uh, unfortunately, sometimes the client can lose in that sense in terms of results and then of course, like the expense uh, from the engagement and stuff like that. So I'd say make sure that you, for the small business owner to really do thorough homework. I mean, this is someone, this is a, a, essentially a, an extension of your team. Um, and you don't want to just hire anyone. You know, it's the same as you're, you're building your team. You don't want to just hire someone on the first interview. So, um, you know, make sure that you do two, three, four interviews. I, I think... I mean, now it's getting even more... Comp- I, I kind of look at it almost like these big companies like Amazon, stuff like that, where you'll do the sixth in- interview and then you don't get a call back. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like it's like really, really thorough, really in-depth. Um, 
I think it, it I think it's getting to that point where more small business owners do have to look at it more from that point of view. Um, don't just go by the price sheet, you know, go by, you know, who, who's on the team, uh, what's their expertise, all that good stuff like that. And a lot of times, times, you know, the outcome will be uh, more positive at that point. Yeah, I think that's really good advice in a, in a lot of different arenas, right? I mean, it, it's there are so many groups out there that do so many different things, whether it's digital marketing or financial advice or, you know, you name it. And, and there's a, and a lot of a lot of these industries can have pretty low barriers to entry, like you mentioned. And so it's really hard without doing multiple interviews to know whether or not they truly know what it is that they're providing. That's exactly it. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's exactly it. And I mean, if anything, a lot of times, if we get a prospective client, I, I kind of a lot of times even encourage, hey, go go interview two, three more so that you personally have context. So that you could feel like, you know, when you go home at night, you made the best decision, you know, at at, the, at that point. I mean, it's it's all about their business and the business is providing for their family. And, and, and all, so it's a big decision. It's not just, uh, you know, hey, I went to the store and I picked this up type of deal. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know about you, Landon, but I, I tell you what, when somebody talks about Dreamweaver and HTML in high school, it makes me feel like I'm 100 years old. <laughs> you know, it's like that that was not even a topic of conversation when I was in high school, that's for sure. So this is a perfect time to take a quick word from our sponsor. We'll listen to that and then we'll come back. we got some questions for you about what the future holds. Awesome. Whether you're an established local company or a brand new startup, you can count on GBS to be part of your family. We're not just any benefits consulting firm, we're GBS. We have nearly 30 years of experience in group benefits, a strong sense of purpose, and it shows. GBS, believe in something better. GBSbenefits.com. All right, Tycoons, welcome back. We're here with uh, Signa Marketing and Bobby Machado talking a little bit about digital marketing today and kind of what the future holds, what the past looked like. And, you know, I made that comment before the break about feeling 100 years old when you mentioned those things in high school. And just to give you some context to that, after I graduated high school is when a friend of mine started talking to me about buying stock in this little company called America Online. So that gives you an idea of just how old I am compared to uh, somebody who kind of grew up in the digital marketing space. <laughs> and did, you, did you get in on that stock? I did not. I was, le- I was leaving the country for a couple of years yeah. and I had a thousand bucks and I felt like I needed to leave that in a savings account to get ready to go back to school, buy clothes, buy books, you know, mm-hmm. all those sorts of things to get back in, in, uh, into things. And I wish I would have because, you know, I, <laughs> I looked at it afterwards and I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> but if I'd taken that thousand bucks and I had invested it in American Online with all the splits that they had early on, mm-hmm. two and a half years later when I got married, that thousand dollar investment would have been just been worth just shy of 400 grand. Oh, oh. man. So I should have never looked (laughs) because now I know exactly what it cost me to not, uh, to not invest at that point. But yeah, that's, you know, I mean, I was out of high school before the internet was a thing. So it's, it's a different, uh, different world that you've grown up in, of course. But um, I'm fascinated by digital marketing because I have like Landon, I've had kind of some, I would call them bad interactions with digital marketing agencies that are out there. You know, we can do this and we can do that. And Mm -hmm. you spend money on, you know, paid ads and you do Facebook and you do some LinkedIn and you do some Instagram. And I even did um, Waze, you know, yeah. ads at mm-hmm. one point. So, you know, there's all these different things that I've even looked at over the years. But so I'm fascinated by this. I know it's it's something that I feel I have a fairly good grasp on for for people who do what I do for a, for a living on a day-to-day basis. But there's so much more to it. And so it is important to find somebody who really knows what they're doing. And like you said, can specifically work in your niche marketplace. So that kind of leads me to your to my next question is, in your opinion, what's one industry that you're really intrigued by or interested in right now from a digital marketing standpoint? For for me personally, it's definitely um, the real estate industry. And and the reason why is just because of, of inver- inventory being so low and then us, you know, the whole world ha- going through this pandemic and, and, and whatnot right now. So it's, it's really interesting um, to me because what we've always been really strong at is real estate. And so we've been actually watching this industry for a long time. We've always produced uh, lead generation, specifically on the seller side of things, you know, producing seller leads. And it's an interesting time because of the fact that the inventory is so low. You know, a lot of people are, you know, holding on to their homes. They're saying, hey, you know what, this thing is worth 
a good penny um, right now. Some people don't want to move or, you know, the real estate agent is able to uh, not convince, but to to kind of talk them through different options and kind of open up their eyes to different opportunities in, in that sense. And there's a lot of people in the consideration phase because of the market, the price values being so high, which man, when I went to De- Denver, I looked up the my parents' house and I was like, Man, that th- that thing was worth like uh, no, they bought it for eighty nine thousand at the time, and it's worth uh, over half a million right now. Um, just Colorado's just been just booming, and when I looked at the whole neighborhood, I'm like, ah, man, all these homes are like everything's in the six hundreds. <laughs> so this this whole neighborhood is, um, and but I but that's happening a, a lot everywhere in, in in the U.S. And so so it's an interesting time for for us seeing how many people are actually in the consideration phase um, where they're not a hardcore, really good seller lead, but they're still filling out the home valuation form on, on a page and they're curious. Um, and so, and of course you go into, you know, everyone's different, you know, where they're, what phase of life they're in, you know, those, those types of decisions and, and stuff like that. But, but that's one that's really interesting for me. Um, the other reason why it's really interesting for me is because, of uh, you see a lot of um, content generation being done by, by real estate agents, which is great. You you have to almost at this point. Um, uh, but what I am seeing is that because it's tough right now to do video, like people before you, well, I guess things are opening up now, but a lot of uh, shows from real estate agents, they couldn't interview the, you know, the local officials or they couldn't interview the local business owner uh, because the business was closed at that point or, or whatnot. And so in terms of doing it face to face on a on a video show, and so that's why I really started to to get interested on on real estate agents, seeing them start to do podcasts. I've seen that a ton now, if anything, of real estate agents producing their own podcasts, basically taking their video show that they were producing and just making an audio form of it. And the cool thing is about Zoom. I mean, if you want to start super basic, the the you know point of entry is very low too to be able to produce um, at least some decent content. Uh, because you see the Zoom calls um, being recorded and, and done everywhere now too, so um, so that's why I see a lot of opportunity. Because uh, like like most real estate agents, it's not like you have a huge huge budget to to throw into to marketing, um, but you have something, and so you have to be kind of careful of where you spend your dollar. And for me personally, um, content generation is something that you never lose out because it's an asset. Yeah. Once the audio is produced, it lives forever. Once you produce the video, it lives forever. And so for me. Um, if I invest money in something like that, that I know lives forever, it's a really good investment, uh, in that sense. And then you can, of course, like amplify it through advertising, but at least having that asset where you can do whatever you like, you can take that long form piece of content, chop it up into highlights, um, and run it over, you know, your content calendar for the next two months type of deal. So that's why I'm really, uh, interested in, in that market just because, I, last time I checked, at the end of 2019, it was almost 1.4 million real estate agents in the U.S. And so, I mean, every, it's a huge market, um, and there's there's a lot of competition. That's what makes it super super tough. Is there's a lot of competition, and so that so that's why it, to me I see content marketing as that way of the, your chance to at least be different in some way. Yeah. Yeah, we had some real estate agents on a few weeks ago and they and one of them, the broker that was on, um, Steve Trang actually has his own podcast that that he puts out for real estate. And I think it's done a lot of good things for him for his business. He he lives, you know, or I shouldn't say he uh, lives by it, but he he stands behind what it's done for him and for his business. And he's you know, he's been at it for 20 plus years mm-hmm. and he he sees the value in it. And you're right that it provides this content that can be split up and used. And we do some of the same stuff with our show here where we'll, we'll take these sound bites and we'll put them out later. And some of them are evergreen, right? I mean, you can recycle them. You can use them again a year later, two years later. It doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. Um, nobody, nobody saw the content. And as long as the content itself is still relevant, yep. it, it, you're right. It's an asset. It's something that you can continue to use for a lot of time to come. Y- yes, ex- exactly. Yeah. And in uh, content generation, I mean, sometimes can get, you know, depending on your production value, you know, if you hire a, a content marketing agency, you know, it can it can scale up or, or down, you know, you can go full production and, 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 you know, make a hefty investment. But there's always there's always um, options in, in, in ways to be able to produce content in, in, in a way that's still within budget, and, you know, not a, a huge strain. 
for small business owners? Because I, I think a lot of small business owners tend to sometimes not go into that direction because they have a fear of budgeting or the work involved or anything like that. But um, it's actually, it, it can be easier than what's probably anticipated in lots of cases. Yeah, I think the cost to entry is a, is a lot less than a, than a lot of people think, right? I mean, I, I just... I did. So I'm I'm on the board of a nonprofit and I think they're actually going to be the, the CEO or the chairman of the, of the nonprofit is going to be on in a few weeks, I think. But um, they asked us to record just a quick 30 second video as to why this particular nonprofit is important to us. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I took the video at home and I do a fair amount of video marketing with my business as well. And, and, you know, I'm comfortable in front of a camera. I'm, I'm good with all that. Well, they they played this on a show or on a not on a show, but on a meeting that we did the other day and they played back my video and I'm looking at it and I'm thinking the sound quality is good. My message was fine, but the quality of that video is terrible. So what did I do? The next day I ordered a a new webcam on Amazon and I only paid like 30 bucks for it, but it's, you know, 1080p or 4K or whatever. And it's a much higher quality video than I had before. And then same thing, I ordered a new microphone to give me better vid- better sound quality because I've been using my Beats headphones for Zoom calls and there's a little bit of a delay because of the Bluetooth. Mm. So, it, and, and that microphone was like 20 bucks or something. And it was highly rated on Amazon. So the reality is you can really put all of this together for, on a pretty shoestring budget if you're really committed to it and you understand the value. Oh, that, that, yeah, that's a, that's a, a great point. And I, I think sometimes even psychologically, I don't know why, but I think it's just a human thing, depending the the person and stuff like that, where they won't make those person, pers- you know, that purchase. Um, but you could easily spend fifteen dollars at Taco Bell. So it's like <laughs> the way. So, so the way it's a lot of food at Taco you know, Bell I, for me. Oh man, I I I, I yeah, I, I spend fifteen dollars at Taco Bell. <laughs> First of all, that's impressive. But, but go on. But but um, I was telling my brother the other day too. I'm like, man, dude, inflation is definitely happening. Like I like I see it on all these places. But the way I, I look at it is like, look, it's your business. This thing is like your life. This is how I view it uh, personally. So. To make that investment of twenty bucks or even a couple hundred bucks on on stuff that's going to have longevity is like, I'll like done. Like I'm going to do it. Like you know. Yeah, yeah. I I I love that. I actually, oh man, I, I wish I could tell you guys where I heard it because I just heard it in the last couple of days. But it was a, uh, you know, small business guru, you know, guy, and he was mm-hmm. he was talking about that. And oh, it was in a book that I was reading. Um, uh, he was saying you know, helping, he helps business owners look at investing their business dollars, not looking at it as an expense, right? It's not a line item. It is, it is an investment that you are deliberately making back into your business because you could take that money out of the business and put it in your own pocket, but you are deliberately and consciously making that decision to invest that money back into your business mm-hmm. with an ROI expectation. Yep. Which leads right into my next question. So you mentioned something about uh, a, a budget. Um, so this is kind of a two-part question. Uh, so with a lot of buzzwords in, in today's business and marketing world, people say paid media. So first of all, help us understand exactly what that means, what that entails, and then if you can maybe segue that into uh, a small business that's looking to engage your agency, what can they expect to invest with you guys on, let's say a monthly, a monthly budget and how long should they really commit to working with you before they can start seeing some results? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, So the, the word paid media for us is essentially an umbrella term. Uh, It, Within it, of course, is Facebook ads uh, within, you know, Instagram ads in there too, um, LinkedIn advertising, uh, Google ads being ads. And then within Google, you have YouTube advertising. Those are the five networks that that really describe paid media for us, even though there's tons of other platforms. I mean, TikTok is is one that they've opened it up for advertising and stuff like that too. So, um, but for us, it's those five main, main uh, platforms for a small business uh let's say more more so like a, a service based company um that's looking for lead generation typically for a small business they're going to spend between 2 grand to you know 3 grand if they would kind of want to be a, a little bit heavier uh per month with ad spend and everything 
that's basically pretty much the norm right now is is that price range right now for for businesses that are if anything probably closer to five four or five million a year in revenue they're usually spending five six uh grand a month around there in, in paid media and the other and the thing to look at paid media uh, i mean it's a com- commodity it's like it's water in terms of like you can turn it on turn it off if you want traffic that from a specific you know keyword or or traffic from a specific interest uh, in a specific geographic location you can you can launch it right away and be able to attain that traffic what what's important is finding the right partner to make sure that not not about just attaining the traffic but that the actual strategy in terms of how you're converting that traffic is in place because that's where things get ruined <laughs> essentially if if you don't have the home base that's actually going to convert that traffic then it, it it's it's a wash at that point there's, there's. I'm missing a second part to your to your question that it went. Oh, it, yeah, I said. Uh, so if, if a, a small business engages you, uh, you've laid out, you know, the the services. They're on board, and they say, you know, how much you've kind of laid out how what what price range they can expect, but how long do they typically need to be committed to start seeing results? D- definitely, yeah. So, so. Especially with, uh, say, if it's like a new industry, usually a ninety days is a testing phase to really get into the point where you're actually by basically by the end of ninety days, leads are coming through, and not only the leads coming through, but the strategy is saying, okay, cool, we know what's working, what's working and what's not, type of deal. Um, Really, the the ninety day mark is um, pretty pretty the extent of it. Um, A lot of times, it's sooner than that, and especially with industries um, that we're really familiar with. That's more like that's actually more turnkey, if anything, because we uh, we know the nuances of the of the industry and the strategy to to execute um, at that point. So industries, for example, like real estate, those are really um, you know we can we can start generating leads type of thing tomorrow type of thing. But the only reason why is because we've been involved in the industry so much, so we know what works and what doesn't, um, and we've seen that whether there's market swings or even a pandemic. There's still a ton of search uh, interest for you know uh, people that are considering selling their home. So yeah, but I think uh, on definitely on average, um, especially for new industries that are emerging or or that there's like that is kind of tough. I mean, like the CBD market, you can it's a it's a little bit more open up now, but there's still you got to be careful in, in some ways. Those typically still you know sixty to ninety days is pretty average to to start generating results, and then from there. By the end of the 90 days, it's saying like, okay, cool. The foundation's done. Now let's scale this. Uh, and it and depends on the business goals. Does it need to be scaled? You know, how many, how many leads do they actually need for their sales uh, team to, to, to close? What's their closing rate? Kind of just doing like the reverse engineer, just backwards math yeah. um, to, to m- make sure that the marketing efforts are actually mapped out to the, the, the business goals uh, at that point. Yeah. So <clears throat> I've got kind of the same question, but you know, there's paid media and then there's search engine optimization, right? And in my mind, the two kind of work together, but they are truly separate. So mm-hmm. maybe explain a little bit more of of what search engine optimization is and, and how does somebody dial that in for their own business? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, they do work together, especially, I mean, there's always gonna, there's users that will never click on a paid ad on search on on a on a search network like well they'll, they'll conduct a search um query and they'll never cl- click a, an ad they'll always just go to organic and then you have other people that are you know okay with it and they'll click on the ads and so the reason why i mentioned that is because you essentially have two groups of people if you want to dominate a market 100 percent, then you kind of have to have both placements both paid and the organic side of things um if you wanted 100 percent of it and then and of, of course the great thing of organic is once you do attain those rankings um, and you continue to maintain them. That is, you know, I don't like to say it's free traffic because you still had to hire someone to get there. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it was still an expense. But the thing is that organic traffic um, for certain industries does even tend to uh, convert at a higher rate. That it's just a better quality traffic. So, it, but th- so those those two definitely work together um, in terms of search engine optimization. Kind of just to lay out, just I guess some context there's on-site optimization and then off-site uh seo uh, for you know seo uh as well on-site is actually ties into what we we're talking about earlier when you're building your website making sure that the actual foundation of the site's 
in place. And on-site SEO is factored into that. So basically, this is how I view it, is when someone lands on your website, they should be able to clearly understand what, what, what you guys offer um, and some of the benefits and a way to take action. Maybe in, in the top half of the page. In the top. Yeah. yeah. Usually this is done by a headline, a subline, like maybe a little paragraph that's maybe even just one sentence, two sentences. Sometimes you'll see some bullet points uh, and then you'll see a visual, like whether it's imagery or um, which I highly recommend is like even like a video. And underneath those bullet points, sometimes there's a button that's, that's a call to actions uh, to be able to, to, to take action. Then from there, you know, if that's not sufficient enough for the user to take action, they scroll down and, and strategically, then that's when you go into social proof, whether it's testimonials, uh, uh, more information on the actual company itself or the, the service line. If you want to guide people, maybe you have a suite of services or a suite of products that you want to guide them towards. That's where that, that customer journey starts to expand there. Um, but the reason why I bring all that up is because th- like without having on-site SEO, you could do all the off-site you want. It's not, and it's not going to be sustainable rankings. Maybe, maybe you can have a website that's, let's say, 50% there and you do a ton of off-site SEO. Maybe you can get a ranking for a little bit. But at some point, Google's always continuously grading your site. So at some point, they, they, can, they can grade it again and say, you know what? Yeah, we made a mistake. And then de-rank, like, you lower your rankings. So that's why I'm, it's really crucial just to get the, the on-site done. Um, this even means the site, how it's organized, the pages, the, the main navigation, um, the schema that's in the, in the background. Because basically, the search engine's trying to think almost like a human, in a sense. It's, it's trying to say, you know, I, obviously, I want the, the best results uh, for my search query. How do I get that type of deal? Um, and the search engines are, are really just mapping out to what a user actually needs. And that's what Google's goal is, is to provide the best search engine results possible to, to their end user. Um, so having on-site is the first thing. Once you have the on-site, say you're a new business, you essentially have no authority. So for example, the, I like to use this analogy is, so right now, not the whole, like the whole world doesn't know me. But if I went on Oprah, I would have, it, my life would probably change a little bit tomorrow. Like it'd probably be a little bit different. But the reason why is because of her authority has, has trickled down to me in some way. There's still some dilution there, but it's trickled to me in, in some way. And so that's how I describe offsite SEO is you have your website and the whole objective uh, of offsite SEO is to essentially uh, attain external backlinks. So links from other high authority websites to link back to yours. We don't want to say make these webs these sites these links anything. They should be relevant. They should be relevant to your industry, your service, um, or your product in, in some way. Because that's how Google starts to really understand um, not only who you are but who you're affiliated with, and they start and that's how you start to increase your authority. As you increase your authority, that's where your rankings start to show up. Uh, because now you're saying you're with your on-site, you're making claims about something, but now you have the actual authority from your off-site mm. that's validating your claims. And that's how you start to, to get rankings. Um, not that just appear, but they're also sustainable. That's, that's the, the, the big thing there. Um, for local businesses, Google My Business, the profile, even though it, uh, I, uh, it may look so basic, that's like half of your SEO right there that, that a, lot, a lot of local businesses um, sometimes miss out on because they kind of, it's underestimated of how impactful uh, their Google My Business profile really is. And so that's why we preach, you know, uh, always having a, a process or a system in place to continuously gather reviews because those reviews are your social proof. And Google is actually looking at reviews uh, as well, your social proof across the web to uh, as an authority point. That's a that's a point of authority. So I always explain it as far as like just make sure that your foundation's put in place, then start building all your authority offsite. Um, that way, you'll actually attain rankings that are sustainable and and hold long, longevity at that point. Yeah. So <clears throat> I want to go back a little bit. You talk about you know Google dro- dropping your rankings, right? So they'll rank you somewhere, and then they say, "Oh no, I ma- I made a mistake," right? Mm-hmm. So one of the buzzwords that I hear all the time is. They change the algorithms. Yeah. Right. So help us understand what that what that means and why that affects, you know, your SEO and your rankings. For sure. So, I mean, that algorithm, I mean, algorithms are changing. I mean, maybe even a, a, a ton of times, even just during this conversation type of deal. It, it's so it's so fast and it's becoming even faster and faster with machine learning um, that's implemented and, and, and all that stuff. So 
that's why I, I really preach of like just do the right thing and do white hat SEO. Uh, do the do the right thing and always be focused on the user standpoint uh, in terms of uh, their their experience. If you're doing it that way, you're always mapped out to what Google looks for in in, in their actual algorithms. Um, if the algorithm changed and you lost rankings, is because they they did grade you at a lower point. They said, yeah, you know, you know, if anything, you don't have enough social proof, you don't have enough authority. Um, or also, one thing that is forgotten a lot is that all the competitors are doing the same. So a, a, a local business that is active with their local um, SEO efforts, sometimes they lose sight that all their other competitors are doing the same thing as them. They're trying to get, and there's only 10 spots on the first page and only the top five are actually getting high click-throughs. Um, anyways, so um, so that's that's why SEO really never ends. SEO is a continuous thing, just like paid media. Um, but the reason why SEO is continuous is because your competitors are always looking to take your position. So they're always looking to uh, build their backlink profiles bigger and with more authority. Um, and if it gets to the point where they, they built more authority than you, then yeah, Google will have to... Uh, you know, lower your rankings um, and give them the the spot. Um, but so it's it's free range uh, for for businesses to to put in the effort or to not. You know, um, but that's why from from a local SEO standpoint, um, it's important to always continue to nurture your backlink profile. Like your on site SEO, once you've done it once, you really don't have to tinker with it. Especially when it's if you if you did it good and right with the site build. There's no reason why to go back and change title tags or meta descriptions um, unless you have data proving of why you, you need to. Um, or maybe you added a new page that needs to be optimized. Um, but once, honestly, once on-site's done, you can dive into backlinking um, and make sure that that backlink profile is always really healthy and uh, carries a lot of high authority relevant websites. So basically what you're saying is that Google knows and tracks every single piece of data. Of course. <laughs> and uh, if they don't like what they see, they knock us down in the rankings, essentially, right? Yeah. It, 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 that, um, but it's always because it's focused on the, the user. Like, meaning Google doesn't want to recommend you um, a garage door repair company that gives, you know, not so good service. They want to they wanna give you, like, the best. And so for a search engine to... to be able to evaluate that they have to look at all these factors. There's over 200 factors they have to look into. They have to look at the authority of the site. They have to look at the reviews. Um, they have to see, okay, are these reviews only from Google or do they have them on Yelp and Facebook too? Stuff like that. And so, and they'll even look at the frequency of the reviews. Did this guy get reviews like a hundred in one day or is it a hundred over the course of three years because they're actually real? <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so those are the things that they're, they're looking at in, but yes, from my point of view, that's how we we always tackle SEO is really what's good for the user because that's what Google that's what that's what Google maps out too in terms of uh, being able to produce the best you know search results possible for the end user's query. Yeah, yeah. Th- they're not just guessing. I mean, there's a reason that you've got four just for men ads on the side of your screen <laughs> at all times, Landon. <laughs> Uh, well, uh, on that note, Bobby, we we really appreciated having you on the program today. Um, there's been some some there's been some great insights um, that you provided to us on on the show today. I've learned some things, and I've been Wonderful. you know trying to dial us dial this in for my own business for for quite some time. And so, I, you know, I appreciate the interactions. But just real quick, tell us where you know where our listeners can find you online or, or however you'd like to share your information. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one thing that I'm having a lot of fun with is our, our show at Cigna called uh, Blueprint. We launched it uh, a little over a year ago. This past m- month, se- September, uh, that COVID stuff like kicked me out for two weeks. So I, like it was such a bummer because we we're like on schedule, you know, doing this uh, more repeatedly and being able to answer questions quicker. But yeah, we shoot it. It's a weekly show. So I'm gonna, uh, this weekend, we're going to start it up again. And, uh, and it's a show where I just candidly answer uh, questions that have to do with digital marketing. So if uh, any of the listeners do have questions um, that are really specific to their exact scenario, um, all they have to do is uh, go to our website, signalmarketing.com. Um, they can submit it as a contact form 
or honestly, you can go on all of our social media platforms. Everything is at Signa Marketing. You can direct message us on uh, Facebook or Instagram. Um, and a lot of times we even have uh, posts that, that ask for more questions and stuff. And we just ask that uh, people place them as comments. And then we just curate those questions and answer them on the, the next episode. But yeah, that's, that's the best way. And that's the funnest way, especially for us to be able to continue to provide value. Very cool. Thanks again for being here. And we look forward to staying in touch over the months to come. Thank you so much, guys. I really appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Bobby. It was great. Thank you. You've been listening to Tycoons of Small Biz, proudly hosted by Austin Peterson and Landon Mance. Austin and Landon are comprehensive financial planning professionals specializing in financial, estate, and succession planning for small business owners. Austin and Landon have offices in Scottsdale, Arizona, and Las Vegas, Nevada, and represent clients in 14 states throughout the country. Join Austin, Landon, and the Featured Tycoons live every Tuesday at 1 p.m. right here on Business Radio X and your favorite podcast platform.